welcome to the A Day at DPL podcast. In this episode, Wade Fow and Alex Morgia of Retirement Researcher share an innovative new tool that can help consumers choose the right path for retirement and also allow advisors to create a more personalized income strategy that empowers clients. Welcome everyone to another day at DPL. We have our first returning guest, Wade Fowl, here along with Alex Merguia. Alex, I'll introduce first. Alex is the CEO of Retirement Researcher and the Managing Director of McLean Asset Management. He's written in numerous industry journals, including the Journal of Financial Planning, and has been recognized nationally for his work. He's interviewed and quoted all the time. You'll see why very shortly, uh, and has appeared in such publications as the New York Times and Wall Street Journal. He's a frequent speaker at industry conferences and founded a financial planning software, uh, which is widely used across the industry. Wade, many of you know, Wade Fow is the founder of Retirement Researcher, the professor of retirement income at the American College of Financial Services, a higher education institution for financial planners, and the director of retirement research for McLean Asset Management and in-stream financial planning technology. Through his research, Wade aims to help consumers and advisors along the path to a successful and sustainable retirement by providing modern and sound academic research. He's written hundreds of articles and a few books, got one coming out here in the fall, and is a leading speaker at many conferences nationwide across our industry. Guys, welcome. So happy to have you here to talk about something which I think is not only exciting, but I, I keep using the word with you guys, important. Some new research you, you guys have been working on and developing a, a new tool for the industry. So you want to give us a little background on what it is? First, I'd just like to say thank you for introducing me before Wade. <laughs> you come first alphabetically <laughs> that's right <laughs> great to be on thanks david and yeah so the the thing alex and i've been working on together recently is it's we call it the retirement income style awareness and it's a, a risa which alex in, in spanish means smile but it, it's a way to kind of cut through and, and start to understand what's the appropriate starting point to think about a retirement income strategy because we know there's a lot of them out there. There's the total return type investment approach. There's bucketing or time segmentation strategies where you, you think about bonds for short-term expenses and stocks for long-term expenses. And then there's also different types of flooring approaches or essential versus discretionary, where you think about using annuities to cover lifetime expenses, but that are more of the core expenses and then use investments for the more discretionary piece beyond that. And that could be either like a, a single premium immediate annuity, deferred income annuity, uh, with annuitization involved where you really commit to the strategy or whether that's uh, more of a deferred annuity approach where you look at a variable annuity or indexed annuity or uh, well, a RILA, the registered index linked annuities that have living benefits that can support a lifetime income while still preserving liquidity and upside potential for those assets. But there's a lot of strategies out there. And, and I think people don't always know where to start or they get pitched a particular idea, whether they're reading something online or listening to a financial advisor's local radio show or whatever the case may be. 
I think people might get pushed into a strategy that they may not know whether it's fully appropriate for them because it's what someone else is saying is the right approach for everyone. But the RISA, by, by doing the RISA, you're able to get a starting point that based on my preferences and characteristics, this is the type of retirement income strategy that I should look at first as a starting point to see if that really is going to do a better job for me personally and not just optimize whatever it is I'm hearing in the consumer media or from a financial advisor or whatever the case may be. I kind of stumbled across this project by accident, right? I'd been thinking about, you know, having worked with RAs who who work mostly with a particular investments only, safe withdrawal kind of approach to retirement. And I guess getting older myself and knowing more retirees and people near retirement and working with, you know, loads of clients is you kind of saw that there are different psychologies towards retirement, even with people who have money and shouldn't necessarily be worried about running out of money. And I would sometimes get frustrated with advisors who'd be just like, oh, it's always investments only 100% of the time. This is the best way to do it. And I thought you don't do that during accumulation, right? You, you take into account during accumulation, the psychology of your client, whether they care about losing money to market volatility, whether they're aggressive, you invest them differently. Shouldn't you do that toward retirement income and somebody's retirement style? And I can't remember why we were talking, Alex, but I, I was bringing this up to you and you're like, well, we've got some much more advanced thoughts on this whole thing than you're talking about. So tell me kind of the origin from your point of view and how did you start putting this together? I don't think I used the word advanced though. I think it was superior. <laughs> no, 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 no. no <laughs> well, a little bit of background here. Uh, Wade and I, you know, Wade joined McLean. Part of that package is Wade had a retirement researcher blog. It has a huge readership. We started you know, doing more and more with it. And we're getting a lot of questions from folks on retirement researcher. Hey, should I do X, Y, Z? Hey, should I do this? Should I do that? And these questions had to do with, you know, like a, a call-in radio show kind of questions. A lot of these answers, unlike a call-in radio show, the answer was just, it depends, right? It, it, it depends. I, I can't really answer that. And we realized, at least in a in a email response, Wade and I quickly realized that, you know, that's not satisfying for us. And I'm sure it wasn't satisfying for the person asking it. And so we thought, mentally, what, does, what do all these things really depend on? You know, how far can we take this without actually running a number? You know, what, what, what does it depend on? And then we started thinking, okay, what does it actually depend on? And Wade had done some work. He did, he did a couple of things. He did what's known as the retirement income optimization map, where he created a framework for retirement income. So within that framework, we started doing a lot of reading and we started teasing out what are some concepts that it could things could potentially depend on. One concept that I already had written on was probability safety first concept, right? And so any anytime we read something and it reflected that kind of thought, we wrote it down. You know, you know, what, what was the turn of the phrase that was used to uh, identify that concept? Then we did that. But after like a good eight months, I want to say, right, right wing, it was a long time. Well, we read, you know, all the top articles, all the top books on retirement, anything. You know, that had the word retirement in it, we tried to consume it. And so after a while, we realized, okay, we've got about 800 things that we pulled out and we've clustered them. And we thought, okay, we think it depends on these factors. Created questions around them. We engaged our readership with regards to the questions. I think we started with eight, yeah, 800 questions. They came back. We asked them to rate the questions. 
they came back and they rated them. And then we narrowed it down to another 350 questions. And within those questions, we thought we've identified certain styles, certain concepts, certain factors that identified it depends. And it depends is now your retirement income style, but it depends on. And so we, we, we thought, okay, we've identified certain certain amount. And then we put it out there and we ran it through statistical analysis to see if these things actually exist. And lo and behold, you know, it, it came back great. The results were, were great with regards to that. And, and I think, uh, David, you, you, know, you and I talked probably when we were just issuing out the initial question saying, okay, this is the process we're starting out because we agree. I mean, uh, look, it's all, about how, it's all about preferences and trying to identify those preferences. If you're doing that from an accumulation standpoint, somebody who's 30 years old and they want a 60-40 portfolio, even though you can tell them all day long, hey, look, you're going to retire in 35 years. Markets will do such and such over the long term. So why are you not in a 100% portfolio? You don't have that conversation with them. You kind of maybe show them the numbers, but at the end of the day, you acquiesce to their risk tolerance, right? And so what, what, what all these things, it depends on, it's really just trying to find out how someone prefers to source retirement income. You know, what are the characteristics that they're identifying with how they prefer to source retirement income? Things went gangbusters from there in, in terms of really surfacing these it depend factors. So I guess it, it should also be noted that Alex is a PhD in psychology, apart from being a financial advisor. So he, he does have some qualifications for you know developing these kind of risk assessment and questionnaires and background in doing this as a research psychologist. So what were some of the aha moments in, in going through the process? Things that surprised you, things you thought were important that weren't? What were some of the ahas that, that you got in going through through the uh, questions with your audience? The way things ended up, we found six different factors that end up being important. And and two of them are particularly more important based on the statistical methodology. It's called exploratory factor analysis that just ranks the relative importance and how different types of questions and characteristics cluster together. I've been writing about this idea of probability-based versus safety-first <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> and I, I we've, we've now updated it. So one of the ahas is that, yes, this is a characteristic, but also it's one of several characteristics. And I used to just uh, simplify to say probability-based versus safety first was investments versus insurance. But it's it's actually a little more subtle. It's more probability-based is relying on market growth. Are Are you comfortable relying on market growth? Are you comfortable relying on the idea that stocks will outperform bonds over a reasonable holding period? And therefore, you can spend more because you believe in the future your stock market returns will be there for you to justify that. Or do you prefer to have some sort of contractual protection behind that spending? And so safety first can also include just holding individual bonds to maturity, but it becomes one of the key important characteristics. So I was at least pleased to see that. The other main characteristic was this idea of, are you someone who's willing to commit to a strategy? Like if it's a strategy that'll work for you, are you willing to commit and be done with it and not have to think about it? Or do you prefer to always keep your optionality or to have your options open to be able to make changes in the future? And these two factors interrelate with each other. The other big aha moment is just how well retirement income strategies as we know of them and as they exist today can fit into understanding the interactions between these characteristics. So that if you're somebody who is willing to rely on market growth, who's probability-based, 
and also wants to maintain optionality, that that sounds like that traditional total return investment strategy, the systematic withdrawals, the the 4% rule of thumb, the aggressive diversified investment portfolio, that may satisfy those characteristics quite well. If you're somebody that has a safety first mindset, so contractual protections, and is willing to commit to a strategy, now we're talking about the world of annuities and annuitization and, and building that lifetime income floor with a, a single premium immediate annuity or a deferred income annuity. And there's natural correlations with that, the safety first commitment, the probability-based optionality. But then it's really like another aha moment is just how the industry developed strategies that will appeal to people behaviorally because they may not have purely consistent preferences. And so if you're somebody who likes contractual protections, but also prefers optionality, that's not necessarily consistent if you're going to commit to a contract to have that optionality. But I think that's where bucketing or time segmentation strategies developed as a way to appeal to that, to say, you're going to build contractual protections. You're going to have bonds maturing over the short-term horizon to cover your upcoming spending needs. But then you're going to have this growth portfolio after that, this big bucket of a diversified portfolio to provide you with all this optionality as well. And so it's a strategy that balances those characteristics. If you're somebody who's probability-based, you're comfortable relying on market growth, but you're also willing to commit to a strategy. And you might want to have some more guardrails around that. And also there's four more secondary characteristics that, that help to explain some of this as well. But uh, relying on market growth and commitment, that's the world of what we see now with the different types of deferred annuities, where you add a living benefit rider. You can still have liquidity for the assets. You can have some upside potential, but you have guardrails around your spending. You're protecting spending on the downside that even if markets do well, you can still support a guaranteed lifetime income and know that you have a commitment behind that and you You've made that commitment to, to be able to achieve that while still maintaining some growth for those assets. So it really fits into what we already know about as the different types of retirement income strategies, but then provides a framework for understanding people who have this characteristic and that characteristic. Here's a great starting point for them to think about. Is that the kind of strategy that they might be most comfortable using and might willing, uh, like have the most ability to, to stick the course and to commit to that strategy and use it throughout their retirement. They now have a foundation for understanding what, what kind of preferences uh, they have and, and how that relates to the different strategies out there. So I, I know you went through this process of, you know, starting with 800 questions and, you know, narrowing it down over time. And one of the things that I remember you being so excited about, you know, Alex, was the correlation of, you know, the respondents and the outcome to somebody's actual attitudes and feelings, right? So, you know, you take some of those tests sometimes, you know, a psychological test and you're like, yeah, that's kind of me. Um, but this, you know, the, the correlations were tremendous and, you know, really matched up to, you know, the outputs really matched up to, you know, people's true attitudes. And so, Talk to me about that kind of correlation and how you started narrowing down questions. So it's now not an 800 you know, question questionnaire. It's something you know, a lot more manageable. And how do you maintain those correlations? The aha moment for us is all we wanted to do was show initially was show that look, these are actually quantifiable factors. These are not just matters of opinion. We can show that we're surfacing latent, latent factors. You know, from that standpoint, what we didn't realize is how well they translate into strategy and how well they're predictable of strategy. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 just blew us away, and that's where we were like, "Wow!" You know, f- from that standpoint. In addition to the other stuff, now, yeah, the, the process of, of really whittling this down because this is uh, effectively, you know, uh, it, it's not out here in the field. There's no one that really does this. No one's kind of moved in this direction. But you would think, with all the, you know, with all the promotions of behavioral finance stuff, it, the industry is going in this direction, and and it should, frankly. But I would say this is very similar to a strength finders or a Colby, if you will, but for retirement income. We're ultimately asking, instead of asking, how do you like to source your earned income? You know, we're asking, how do you like to source your retirement income? That, that's ultimately what, what we're getting at here. And so to do that, okay, we have these 800 themes that we think, and we've kind of hypothesized that they're going to cluster like this. But what you do is you don't like lead the witness in the stats. You, you, you run a process called exploratory factor analysis. And 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 David, either give me the high sign or something like that. If it gets too much, you run a process known as exploratory factor analysis, which is you know, well, we we gave first for face validity. For face validity, you want to just you know, and that's really are you asking what you want to ask, right? And so you, we gave it out to our readership, and our readership spent. I think on that, we got back about 600 of them. We we gave out 600 people completed this thing and they spent two and a half hours. I think it was on average, but trust me, we got, we got it on the comment section. <laughs> you know, we, you know, we asked them to just rate the questions. What do you think? You know, do the questions work? Are we, you know, do you, are, you know, rate, is this a question of five? You know, one through five, is it good? Is it bad? Is it a rewrite? You know, that kind of thing. And so it was great. It was a great exercise because Remember, we took themes from books and we wrote them out into questions. And the questions were done by a semantic differential. And that means on the left-hand side, we have a statement. And on the right-hand side, we have a statement. So one statement is probability-based. The other statement, similar, but it's safety first, right? And so you ask them, you know, you put bubbles in the middle and you ask them, where do you tilt towards? And they're there. And, you know, we odd numbers, so they never split the baby. So they had to actually pick a side, if you will. And so they ranked those questions. We got them down to about 350 or so. And then from there, you run the exploratory factor analysis. And think of that as a big sorter. And for all you statisticians out there, please, I don't want any emails or anything like that. You put them into a big sorter and you don't, you don't tell the, the, the process. You don't, you, don't, you don't kind of like preset it. I think they're going to sort like this. So that would be more of a confirmatory factor analysis. And so what happens is it, you know, it shakes it, it shakes up the questions based on how people answered it, and then it puts them neatly into piles. And the piles are effectively latent variables that they've recognized that they are able to quantify, you know, based on the response patterns. And so to Wade's point, what we found is optionality, commitment orientation was by far the most distinct, not the most important or not the most valid, but the most distinct, you know. Next was probability safety first, and then we had the other factors: true, true and technical liquidity, accumulation, distribution, uh, front loading, back loading of spending, which is like longevity version, et cetera. And so, what by that, by doing that alone, that begins to give it sort of, you know, discriminant validity, because you're you're kind of discriminating the piles and showing that they're independent of each other. So, no, I mean. Call it, and maybe you can argue, we can argue, listen, you're calling it probability safety first, but it should actually be called the sharks versus the jets. You know, that, that's, <laughs> who cares, you know? The reality is that there are factors that are being sorted that are act, that, are, that actually exist. You can't quarrel on that, you know, that, that kind of piece. 
And so we found these distinct factors. And to the larger point, I think all we were really doing is surfacing things that were already implicitly understood. But I think that's great. That's what science is about, really quantifying something that people take for granted, if you will. And so we added to that. In addition, now you run validity tests, right? Like, okay, we still have 350 questions and every factor is 20 questions. That's not realistic. So you run, you know, reliability tests, you know, you do combat alphas and things like that to really try to determine, okay, how many questions do we really need? So it's not only valid, but it's reliable, you know, so that people answer it consistently yep. time over time, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's a further test of validity as well, because it, it's adding to more convergent validity. People that answer this question this way also, also answer this question that way, you know, and that's good. And so you did that. And so we were able to take that big data set and begin to filter and filter and filter to the point that, you know, the resource profile of the main factor, we can get that in about 12 questions, almost like name that tune, right? Uh, you can you can get that in 12 questions. And the other secondary factors, you can also do it with the minimum number of questions. And so, but that adds to the validity. And now, you know, the people that answered a certain way, we brought in retirement concern. And, and I'm going to hand it off to Wade so people, you know, you know, the variety of voices. But we, you know, in Wade retirement income optimization map, you know, he calls the four L's, right? Longevity concerns, liquidity, I mean, reserve, longevity, liquidity, lifestyle, and legacy. And we were able to relate to those concerns to these factors in ways that you would think would be directionally correct, how you would hypothesize, right? If you're if you have longevity concerns, you're probably more worried about safety first issues. You know, you probably are more safety first driven. If you have lifestyle concerns, you're probably more lifestyle driven. And so why we did this, because what we're kind of showing is over time, investing for retirement is different. Different how so? You're introducing longevity risk. You're introducing liquidity risk. You're introducing perhaps legacy. Why? Because you no longer have human capital. So you have to bring these things into the equation. And so what we're able to show now is concurrent validity and starting, you know, concurrent validity within these structure sets. Wade, you want to just talk about how I was able to show these kind of relationships? And you may, and David, I'm introducing it, but you may want to bring in how we had common risk measures, like uh risk aversion and things like that into the mix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did also look at the traditional risk tolerance type questionnaire style questions as well. And we just found that that's one dimension of someone's preferences. And it's not necessarily the most important. It's probably more important pre-retirement, but definitely post-retirement, just short-term volatility doesn't tell you a whole lot. It's if I'm trying really risk in retirement is not being able to achieve your goals whether that's covering a spending goal over your lifetime or whatever the case may be, I could be all in treasury bills and that could almost assure me a failure for my financial plan. And so even though the risk tolerance questionnaire would say, I may want low risk, I'm actually, it's a very risky strategy for me and versus somebody who's more overfunded and has more assets than they'll ever need. They can be hundred percent stocks and, and the risk tolerance questionnaire would say, you've got a lot of short-term volatility but they may, in practical terms, never really think about running out of money. And, and so they have a low risk strategy. But beyond that, then that just opens the door of it. As Alex is saying, longevity is not picked up by the short-term volatility, the, the desire to have liquidity to cover the unexpected expenses in retirement and, and the distinction one makes between core uh, longevity expenses versus the more discretionary types of lifestyle expenses. 
there's just a lot more dimensions to retirement. And so that risk tolerance traditional measure didn't work so well. And being able to have that more nuanced conversation around these retirement income factors just helped to really explain retirement much better than risk tolerance. So as an advisor is thinking about this tool that you guys are developing, when would you want to give it to a client? When, when do you want to start thinking about their retirement income style awareness? I think the issue has to be salient for the client. So if they're not even thinking about retirement, there's probably not a whole lot of need for them to take the right. reset at that point. But once people start thinking about retirement, whether they're at retirement today and maybe should have started thinking a little bit sooner <laughs> whether they're still say five or 10 years from retirement, but starting to transition into what do I need to do so that I can be prepared when I get to my anticipated retirement date. That once it's in their mind and, and they're starting to think about it and make plans around it, that's when you may introduce the RESA for them as a starting point to really understand, okay, what kind of direction might I like to go with my retirement strategy to best meet my preferences? So what does the questionnaire look like now? So we went from 800 questions, you've windowed it down. How many questions? Yeah, how much time does it take? And what are your thoughts around that? Because I know you've got some interesting thoughts around how much time this should take. We are talking about your retirement after all. <laughs> we hear about these surveys where people will spend more time shopping on how they're going to save $20 on a vacuum cleaner <laughs> right. than they spend preparing for their retirements. And I think it's worth spending some time. Now, as we've been just talking to different people about the RISA, seeing different services out there, wanting to just rush everything and talk about, we'll give you a retirement plan in 15 minutes. So at the end of the day, we can get the basic idea around the RISA with just 12 questions. So in that regard, you can do it pretty quickly. But I, I think it's worth asking some additional questions as well to get more of these secondary factors and some of these other retirement related issues that we're interested in looking at. But at that point, there's flexibility about which which different questions do you want to include in any particular survey and what all do you want to know about that individual? And at the bare minimum, again, <laughs> you can find out the basic research profile with 12 questions. Don't need all 800. Yeah. <laughs> and Alex. No, that's true. That's that's the whole purpose of, of running the stats. But no, we've created uh, the, the assessment tool to be done. You know, that's a five minute process right there. And so, you know, from an advisor standpoint, I, I think it's great. You can get most of what you need there and, and go on your way. Now, if you're looking for nuances and, and so forth or, you know, great structured interview process, I, you know, uh, maybe in 20 minutes, you, you can pretty much uh, include the other factors and go from there. I mean, we've also added to the read the full on research process, the retirement, you know, risk, the retirement concern section. You know, a lot of advisors ask, you know, what are your goals? And I, it, it's completely important. But we, we kind of uh, went at it from the other angle, like what retirement risk are you concerned with? We think that that was a very interesting angle. And so it includes include that, include the secondary factors, which which are, are actually telling in, in terms of finding more nuance sort of angles that the client is having for how they want to source retirement income. But, you know, the short answer is in about five minutes, they can be done. Uh, the longer version, the, the double album version would be 20 minutes. You know, it, it wanted to go in that direction. Yeah, a pretty small investment of time. And so what was the reaction of the people who have taken it? In terms of creating it and using it, the, the response has been great. We gave this internally to our retirement researcher community, which is, you know, 20,000 plus. We tested it on them and we asked them for, you know, we gave them a survey monkey. How was it? What do you think? 
And from one through five, the average score was four, 4.3, I want to say. And the comments coming back are, you know, this helps, this, this helps give me a framework that I didn't have before in terms of how to pursue my retirement income plan. So it, it, what we're getting at is for the consumers, I think as advisors, we kind of go into a strategy and that becomes our home and we probably don't venture far off from it. You know, you're optimizing for this solution set and, and, that, and you're preaching the habit over time. But for consumers, when they're entering into this, for individuals, when they're entering this, listen, this is, this is a mile wide and they don't know where to start. It's an overwhelming thing. And if you come at it from the standpoint that there's many credible strategies and the key to helping somebody is finding out how they like to source retirement income, what characteristics do they have that indicate how they like to source retirement income? Not asking, do you want an annuity or not, but kind of getting at the solution that an annuity brings or that a total return portfolio brings and talking to them from a solution standpoint, and they're identifying with those solutions, then I, you're, you find the conversation shifts and we're getting, this is great. This is a framework for, for this. This takes what I've been thinking and puts it into a, a strategy form. It, it was it was quite nice. I mean, on our website, on recentprofile.com, it was great. We just put the responses up there so people can see. People did love it. It, it doesn't reduce the, the fact that the, the responses were great. And even the people that were doing the, the 350 questions, which took some folks 200, two hours to do, I mean, the comments were, wow, this was a cathartic process for me. I didn't think of it in this manner. Yep. So, so that in itself was almost like an intervention. Wait. I, mean, I think there's some excitement, too, about putting a vocabulary around this so that these... Yeah. Ideas people may have had in, in their minds, but it's hard to articulate before. And now I'm already seeing that when we get these kind of it depends style questions of should I do this or that, starting to get the emails come in that says, well, I took the Risa profile and I'm a risk wrap person. Now here's my question. And that then makes it easier to at least have some starting point to, to talk about things than not knowing anything about the individual. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tremendous. And I think particularly I'm, I feel like I'm getting up in age and getting near retirement, have plenty of people I know in retirement. And it's one of the things that had gotten me thinking is people don't know what their options are. Right. They don't know what their options are. They're very reliant upon their financial advisor. And they they've probably been working with a financial advisor for quite a while through their accumulation years. And they have a lot of trust in the advisor. And the advisor generally has one strategy when it comes to retirement. They may have multiple strategies when it comes to accumulation and one strategy when it comes to retirement, which is a little bit ironic because there are probably fewer good retirement uh, you know, or you know, wealth accumulation strategies than possibilities on decumulation and retirement. And you see the strategy mismatched to people a lot, right? So I, I look at my in-laws, I use them as an example sometimes, constantly worried about the market. Every time I talk to them, they're, they're like, where, where do you think the market's going? You think it's going to continue to go up? What if you know the administration does this? Is that going to have an effect on the market? Because they're worried about the market all the time. They don't own an annuity. Their income is dependent on the market. Their advisors made that clear. And so they fret about it. Being exposed to the RISA, I was like, if they had been able to take that at the time they started doing their retirement planning, they might have a very different approach or their advisor may have implemented a very different approach towards their retirement. I, I agree with that, David. I also think there, there could be somebody listening to this podcast who's an advisor, total return. We're fine with that. We do that, you know, McQuaid, we do a lot of total return portfolios, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I think that the key here 
is that there's variety of angles here. And some advisors are listening to this may say, well, David, that person is not providing your aunt with the context. If you had a financial plan, we'd be able to tell them that, well, don't worry about the market because you're 85% on track, 95, 90% on track, so you're okay anyway. To me, that's not the point, right? And, and I think that's what you're getting at as well. To me, the point is similar to when you're looking at how you want to earn your salary you know, while, while you're working. You can choose a salary that gives you steady income with a pension, or you could be a front of the house salesperson and with variable income, you, even though you may have a higher ceiling. And, and so I think it just depends on where that person is coming from and, and how they want to source that retirement income. And that's what that advisor should be asking. That's what that advisor could be more amenable to. Regardless, I, I, your, your, your issue applies if, it's, if there's an advisor that just sells annuity, frankly. Sure. <laughs> you know, totally. yeah, I know, I know you agree with that. That's why, but you know, it, it's a, it's really more. How do we begin from an agnostic standpoint? And even if that person doesn't have an advisor, because most of the people don't, right? They go with the last thing that they heard or whatever seems credible. If they don't know that there's many approaches, and they read a book that their friend recommended, and again, the the book is providing credible evidence of why this works. That person may be thinking, I should do this because this is the way. You know, but the world isn't like the Mandalorian, right? I mean, there's there's many ways. And so, you know, find out that's, what your way is before you move forward. That's right. And the I mean, I'm a marketer by trade and, and background. And I mean, one of the things, you know, it's a, the disciplines in marketing that I don't often see in the advisory world is ask your client what they want you know, rather than, than tell them advisory world tends to be a lot more. Let, let me tell you what you want or what you need. But, you know, but, but to your point, though, yeah. I want to make it very clear for people listening. Well, what you're not saying, because the advisor could say, I do, I asked them about their goals and how we can yeah. best achieve their goals, but that's not exactly what you mean. Yes. So go, and go ahead, expand on that. What's the car that they want to drive to achieve this goal? You know, how do right. they want to get there? An advisor can be saying, what are your goals? But then the advisor implicitly just, puts them on the vehicle that they optimize for within their practice. And that's the issue. Exactly. I mean, we had one client, as a matter of fact, who you know, was working with a you know, pretty prominent advisor and they had asked us to present the annuity solution. It was a client direct. We had gotten, we went through their planning committee, their investment committee. They, you know, we answered every single question about the product. And ultimately they said, we drive the car. This is the way we drive it client doesn't like it, they can get out. And they did, they left, which was, you know, kind of a shame. And to be a fiduciary, shouldn't you be trying to deliver what the client wants if you're going to do what's in their best interest? And I know you're a fiduciary, Alex, and, you know, if you're going to deliver what's in their best interest, shouldn't you start with asking them what's in their best interest? Yeah, I agreed. And, and wait, I'm going to ask you a question in a second, but since I think I think Dave knows how to pull my strings there because he's more <laughs> fiduciary. At the end of the day, I, I think everyone waves their band. You know, asset managers doing a full return. You know, love to wave the flag of fiduciary. You know, from that standpoint. And look, that's our primary business model and AUM model at McLean. So you know, you got to look at the mirror sometimes. And I I don't think that's right. I, I think they 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 conveniently use the word fiduciary to promote their business model, but the reality is the, the true word of fiduciary, in my sense, I, I don't even pay attention to all these articles about, you know, DOL, this or that. To me, treat other people how you want to be treated. Full stop. You know, yeah. with abundance of transparency. You know, full stop. 
And that's right. it, right? And so if you take that mindset, as much as people say annuities are sold, not bought, I'm going to turn it around and say a total return approach is actually the thing that's actually sold and not bought. Right. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna now segue into Wade because I think it's interesting. Wade and where I'm going with this is, you know, we have our quadrant about strategies. You may want to just talk about a little bit about what are the frequencies that we saw within these strategies and how that probably doesn't reflect what's happening in practice. Yeah, yeah. So when surveys are done of advisors, I think they really tend to show more on the side of the total returns. And we're just looking at how do people tend to balance out? And there's this natural tendency as going back to earlier in the conversation, that if you're optionality focused, you also tend to be probability based. And if you're more commitment focused, you tend to be more safety first and contractual protections. And, and so about 35% of people were in that optionality probability based. So that total return quadrant and about 35% of people were in that income protection quadrant, which is safety first contractual protections committing to a strategy. And those were kind of the, the core of the things. And then you had in the ballpark of around 15% of people in that, that hybrid, the more hybrid types of strategies, the time segmentation and around 15% in the risk wrap section, which is more like deferred annuities. And, and I don't think you, you see in practice with that's how people are being distributed, as well as even if that those numbers did show up, it's not necessarily the case that people are getting the correct match in all those cases that they may have been pushed into a particular strategy based on who they randomly happen to talk to rather than based on their true preferences. There could be some... Mm -hmm self-sorting going on where people are getting mashed up to the right strategies, but I don't think we're anywhere near hundred percent in the current framework. And definitely there's an underappreciation for the commitment-based type strategies that would include some sort of protected lifetime income as part of the mix. Yeah, I would agree. Clients tend to stick with their advisor that they've trusted, you know, throughout their accumulation period, you know, into retirement. And I think you were mentioning this a little bit, Wade, that retirement study is pretty new, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> relative to, you know, thinking about financial world and the investing world, you know, studying retirement and different retirement strategies and preferences is pretty new. Yeah. Yeah, the default is there is nothing different in retirement. Just whatever investment strategy you used before, you do the same thing post-retirement. But but the issue is post-retirement, you're no longer working, so you don't have labor income to support your spending. And you're now taking distributions. And then that gets into that whole world of the sequence of returns risk and the longevity. You don't know how long those distributions need to last. And so, yeah, it's really only been 10 years or not not much more than that, where people are starting to say, wait a second, the nature of risk changes in retirement, the same sort of total return investment portfolio that you had in mind pre-retirement and that like with the fiduciary model of let's maximize risk adjusted returns for the client subject to their risk tolerance, that that's not really the starting point for thinking about retirement where longevity and, and sequence of returns becomes so important and people, they have less risk capacity in the accumulation mindset. Risk capacity isn't really considered distinct from risk tolerance. Yeah. And, and risk capacity is just more about, are you able to, to bear risk? Post-retirement, once you, you're no longer working and, and so forth, you're no longer as able to bear market risk. And you should look at someone's risk capacity as well as their risk tolerance. And maybe they're highly risk tolerant so they can stomach the short-term volatility, but if they don't have risk capacity, that should trump the consideration 
And in retirement, a lot of people's risk capacity is going to drop. And the old mindset of there is no difference between pre-retirement and post-retirement, you're going to ignore that aspect, but you really can't. And that's really what makes retirement different. People are exposed to different risks and they have less risk capacity and the same sort of total return investing strategy that they use during the accumulation phase of their life may not be the right thing to do when their focus is more on having a predictable income over an unknown retirement length. Right. And, and I, you know, I talk about it in a slightly different way in that, you know, retirement's a relatively new problem, you know, you know, 10 years ago when you said, you know, study has gotten really serious about it, you know, we had very robust interest rates, shorter life expectancies, lots of, you know, people had pensions, you know, all these different factors and, you know, very, you know, secure social security system, you know, arguably, but, you know, there are a lot of different factors and those things have evolved and changed in ways that, you know, make retirement more challenging today than ever. So I think, you know, having, you know, a tool like this, you know, where you can start, putting together a lot of the research and thoughts relative to how clients want to approach retirement and putting it into a, in, into a tool, as I said at the beginning of this, is a very important development for the industry. And we're really excited to have you guys here to talk about it and to start making it available to our advisors. What we've been starting to look at is looking at the outcomes of the the RISA and then mapping them into a product matrix. One of our consultants helped lead the project, which was terrific, Ross McGoodwin, and it became a very natural thing for him as he got the feel for the dimensions of the output of the questionnaire. You know, like these products fit in really well into these particular profiles. And when you think about the different annuity types, and if you look at you know, from SPIA to variable annuity, maybe that's the spectrum I typically think of them in. How do they fit into your RISA outputs for the clients? Just as a quick primer, like the RISA, like the retirement income dollar awareness, it's it's two main factors, right? Probability-based safety first. It's a dimension and that's on a spectrum. And then there's optionality, commitment, orientation, and that's on a spectrum. But those are the two main factors. There's secondary ones, but for right now, let's consider these two. And so if you take all possible combinations of those dimensions, you have four quadrants. You have a matrix with four quadrants, probability based and optionality, total return, probability based and commitment orientation, risk wrap, which I'll, I'll let Wade you know, get into that, uh, safety first and commitment orientation, income protection, and uh, safety first and optionality, time segmentation, bucketing. And within those, you can map strategies effectively. And that was part of the valid predictability outcomes that, that we saw in our in our study. But I just wanted a quick refresher for folks listening in. Wade, you want to take it away from that? Yeah. And, and in that regard too, let me just be clear about uh I think some of those total returns advisors may just think the RISA is a way to sell annuities. And that's not the point either. That if yep. you're in that time segmentation or that total return quadrant, then we're not really talking about an annuity solution. It's more for people who do show an interest in an annuity type of approach, how do you then start to think about what type of an annuity may be the most appropriate for that individual? And I think the starting point for that discussion is to really narrow in on that safety first probability uh, direction, probability-based direction, that someone who is more probability-based but falling into the, the commitment side 
that, that at the extreme side of that, that's really a world of a variable annuity. And then if you have the investment freedom to be as aggressive as possible, going for that upside, but having that put option on the stock market, so to speak, by having the living benefit attached to it, that that kind of high stock allocation variable annuity might be the type of solution. And then as you just start moving more towards the safety first side from there, I think then we are entering into the world of the RILA, the registered index linked annuity, where it's it works a lot. It's the new product and it's the hot product right now, but it, it's it works a lot like a fixed index annuity, except you don't have the principal protection. So there's some sort of downside exposure uh, in terms of the contract value. Spending can be protected, but you're willing to accept some downside risk on the contract value. But by doing that, you're getting more upside exposure. So that's where it would kind of nest or settle in next to the variable annuity. Then as you're maybe crossing over into the safety first side of the, the, the matrix, then you get into the world of fixed index annuities where with a living benefit, where you now have principal protection for the contract value. You've got some upside exposure. You, you may have competitive yields compared to a bond portfolio that you might hold in retirement. But then you also have that risk pooling and that lifetime income protection through the living benefit attached to that. And then uh, as you get to the pure safety first side, there you're now we're starting to talk about annuitizing contracts. So the SPIAs and the DIAs and the, the single premium immediate annuity, the deferred income annuity, the QLAC, all part of that conversation. And the more you're willing to commit, probably the more SPIA or the like the shorter term DIA you'd be looking at. And the less you're willing to commit, then you might go for a more deeply deferred type of a, a QLAC or longevity insurance with an annuitized contract. But that's just how, how to start thinking about based on where somebody falls in that matrix. If they're in part of it that might seek value from an annuity, how to then start thinking about what type of annuity might work best for that individual. So as we wrap up here, you know, my thoughts and takeaways, I want to hear yours are, you know, this is a really important thing. I mean, because retirement is now 30 years of a person's life. It really requires a different strategy and being able to you know, talk to your clients about, you know, what they what they want and what their preferences are, you know, in retirement, I think is an incredibly important development. You're going to get happier clients and happy and, you know, happier clients is a you know, better outcome for any advisor. So I think it's a win win for you know, advisor and client to, you know, match up, you know, what the advisor can do and deliver, you know, for the client. Uh, so I think that's a, it's a huge development, you know, for you guys, Alex, maybe you can start and Wade, you know, what, what's your wrap up? What's your takeaway for the advisors who check out our program? Well, the underlying assumption to all of this is we believe there's many credible ways to solve your retirement income puzzle. We really do. And so the trick becomes trying to find out how that individual person likes to sort retirement income. We figured out that there's there's very there's a few salient characteristics that are able to do a good job with that. The aha moment was, okay, wow, not only can we identify someone's retirement income style awareness factors, but we can map that to solutions. And so that serves as not the end point, but the starting point for the analysis. Now you right. can really roll your sleeves up and see what is economically feasible. But you're starting from the place where that client was coming from. 
I think that's important. I, I think that that's empowering for the person. That leads to solutions that resonate with that person, that this person will stick with, you know, as opposed to, oh, this is what this person said. And you know what? I, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? I, I, and, and resets in retirement are debilitating. Yes. You know, for lack of a word. So I, I, I think what this does is it really identifies where that person is coming from and it is able to serve up strategies that resonate. Obviously, you can continue to map out, okay, within this strategy, these are the actual ways to implement, which, yep. which you know, to me is great. Wade? Yeah, I mean, my point is similar just to the extent that we're still in the Wild West with retirement, that if the advisor could just first understand what is their personal style and then understand what styles are they willing to serve to their clients, and then by understanding what, if they're just talking to a client or even to a prospect, what is that individual style? And then just be willing to say to themselves, not to push their, if, if they've got the one, <laughs> the one strategy that they try to apply to everyone, to just recognize better that that may not be the best approach for everyone. There are multiple viable strategies and to either broaden to provide more types of strategies to the clients based on their preferences or to simply not work with particular clients who may not be a good match for the style they want to use, but to just recognize that there are multiple styles and to just better customize strategies to what, what the client will find most appropriate for their personal situation. That's terrific. And again, appreciate your guys' time. It's been terrific. You're both pioneers and people who question the status quo in, in looking for better solutions for people. I've known that about you guys since I've met you probably you know, a decade or more ago at this point. I love to see things like this come into market better for the consumer, you know, better for the advisor, some groundbreaking thinking and a tool that you know I, I really believe is important and am excited to help in any way we can DPL to get it out into the marketplace. Thank you for having us, David. More to follow, obviously. Resoprofile.com. So more to follow. Sign up. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening. To hear more advisor revelations, go to dplfp.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming app.